0: and welcome to another episode of Butterfly Kisses, A Journey of Spiritual Transformation. I am your host, Amy Gray Cunningham. Thank you for joining me for this amazing episode today. I have a question for you. Have you ever experienced a dark night of the soul? Well, today's guest, Zofia Renee Morales, has experienced one, and she has a very inspiring message for those who are going through one or have gone through it. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and it is not an oncoming drain. Zophia was brought to the edge of death by an undiagnosed chronic Lyme disease and was left bankrupt in all areas of her life. Desperate for a miracle, Zophia cried out a most heartful prayer, asking God or anyone who would listen, I will do anything, please help me. What she experienced next was a spiritual activation that unlocked her gifts as an intuitive healer and a mystic and it completely changed her life forever so please stay tuned and join me as i talk with sophia about her experience with the dark night of the soul and this miraculous gift that she was given as a result trust me you don't want to miss it it's it's an amazing conversation but before we talk to sophia I want to let you know about next Sunday's conversation with the fabulous Teza Lord. Teza is all about love. And after freeing herself from the negative bonds of self-destructive addiction, Teza helps others lift themselves up as well. She has a fabulous motto, which I absolutely love. Love is the weapon of mass illumination. So please join me on Sunday, August the 21st at 9 a.m. Eastern for this inspiring conversation with Ms. Tessa Lord. And don't forget, please subscribe on Apple or whatever app you use to listen to this podcast and follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or YouTube. All the links are provided in the show notes. And as always, you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter. If you haven't already, I suggest you do. This way you won't miss it when a new episode is available. And if you like what you hear on Butterfly Kisses, I ask you, please leave a review. Five stars would be awesome. (laughs) So share it with your friends and family. The more we can inspire others to share their light, the more impact we can make on the world. And please help me welcome Ms. Zofia Renea Morales too. Thank you
1: so much. I am so happy to be here. And I love that you named it Butterfly Kisses because when you turn on late in life, it's a lot like going through the process that the butterfly goes through. You know, I've been I've just been inching my way along and crawling on my belly and there wasn't much possibility. And then suddenly you've stuff yourself full of food, you hang upside down, you melt into this pile of goo (laughs) (laughs) and you rearrange into this form you don't recognize.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: And uh, the the process kind of sucks,
0: but the outcome is pretty darn fabulous. That is so true. The butterflies are so beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. And so and And they earned every bit of their fabulousness. Yes, because the goo from what I understand is not a very fun process.
1: No, it's a majorly unfun process. And I, I like to kind of highlight that because a lot of people who reach out for these kind of shows are in that process of their life is melting down and they feel like they're being torn into pieces and rearranged in strange ways. And they're starting to wonder, am I okay? Am I normal? You know, is there something horribly wrong with me? Am I going to end up in the padded room with the wraparound arms on the jacket? You know, it's like, (laughs) it does not have to go there (laughs) and you're okay. Life will settle down at some point and you will just have this fabulous gifts and you'll be able to soar and flutter from flower flower and do all kinds of wonderful things so i like to remind people of that because it's it feels like it's not going to end but it does
0: there is an eventual transition that happens and joy and play and tenderness as you say it and laughter and love eventually comes back because this too shall pass
1: absolutely
0: That is wise words my grandmother used to tell me.
1: Um, (laughs) And it doesn't
0: matter if life
1: is fabulous right now or if life is sucking right now, this too shall pass, whatever it is,
0: and you'll be on to something else. Yes. And I always have to remember that when I'm even in the midst of joy, I have to remember that this too shall pass because eventually it, ebbs and flows every because that's that's what life is all about and that's the fun yeah part. well that's and wow. that that's
1: the thing with emotions right and a lot of us aren't taught anything about emotions I think that's a large part of the problem many of us are having in society nowadays is we haven't been taught what to do with them and we think the only correct and acceptable emotions are the happy light enthusiastic optimistic ones okay and especially when you get into the spiritual world it's like oh you got to raise your vibe and all this kind of stuff no you're still a human being Mm -hmm. don't park yourself in the low level emotions but they're all messengers Mm -hmm. they're all messengers and they're not meant to hang around for a long time not even the positive fluffy wonderful ones are meant to hang around in infinitely. Mm -hmm. So when the emotion shows up, ask it, what are you here to tell me? What's your message? Because there's a message if you're pissed off about something, there's something you're supposed to be paying attention to. So don't shove the anger down, look at what is the anger telling you? Is it telling you you're being taken advantage of? Is it telling you you're, you're being cheated? Is it telling you you haven't been making enough time for yourself? What, what is the, at the bottom of that anger? What's the message? So then you can take steps that make sense in response to it. Whereas if you take that anger and you go, I'm not going to deal with you, I'm going to set you over here. I'm going to tie you to a chair and gag and bind you. Okay. Mm-hmm and pretend you don't exist, what happens at some point, it's going to become rotten, and stinky, and you're not going to be able to ignore it. Whereas if you take in the message and said, thank you very much, and just let it go. You wouldn't have that stinky pile in the corner of the room,
0: what you resist
1: persists. Yes. And that's what happens when you take that anger and you stuff it down. It's like, I don't want to deal with you. I'm not an angry person. I refuse to be in that vibration yeah no <laughs> that that's not a winning formula the
0: winning formula is to acknowledge it so what happened with this with lyme disease how did what happened how did you contract it where yeah what happened with the don't whole... don't have all the
1: answers to where i contracted it in hindsight looking at like my medical records once we had diagnosed it We went through the signs and the symptoms and the progression of that disease. And we figure I probably came down with it in middle school. I was maybe nine or ten. Wow. Okay. When I came down with it, how is easy? Because my grandparents lived in the great white north (laughs) and I would run wild in the woods of northern Minnesota and, you know, ticks. God, I can't count how many ticks I've ever had on my body in my life. Mm -hmm. And so to pinpoint and say exactly when, I don't know, but there was certainly ample opportunity. And I didn't actually get the correct diagnosis for that until I was in my mid-40s. So I had the disease for three decades, easily, conservatively. And it's a relative of syphilis. So if you've know anything about the progression of syphilis, if it's left untreated, it eventually breaches the blood brain barrier and attacks your mind and eats your brain up. Okay. Wow. And I had reached that stage with the Lyme disease that it was starting to eat my brain. I looked like I had early onset dementia. I couldn't remember what I was doing from one moment to the next to the point that it took me three hours to make a 30 minute meal in the kitchen because I had to go, wait, I'm in the kitchen. Why am I in the kitchen? What am I doing here? Oh, yes, I'm making dinner. What am I what stage am I at in the process? And this continual having to reorient to the task at hand, stretched it out tremendously. So I I was in a bad space when we finally figured out what was going on with me. How did they diagnose it? Lyme, a lot of times is a diagnosis of elimination. There There is an official Lyme disease test. And the challenge with the official Lyme disease test, there are two characteristics of a test. One is specificity. Does it actually test for the thing you think it tests for? And then there's sensitivity, which is how much of it do you have to have for it to show up? Okay. And so the best test is very specific and very sensitive. The approved, conventionally accepted Lyme disease test is very specific. If it comes back and it says, you have Lyme disease, yes, you do in fact have Lyme disease, but it is not very sensitive. And so you've, you've got to be in a certain phase of the Lyme disease life cycle where it can detect it. And so if it comes back and it says, no, you don't have Lyme, you cannot take that to the bank. It just means they can't detect whether you have Lyme. It doesn't mean you don't necessarily have it. Does it make sense? Mm -hmm. And so when they did that test on me, they came back with kind of this, well, we're not quite sure result. It Maybe it's a a weak positive, we're not 100% convinced. And there are some other, what I wanna say, less conventionally accepted tests that can be done that can confirm that that are more sensitive and more specific than the one that is currently approved by the FDA. And so I, they put me through those other tests just to make sure and it came back that yes, definitely I did in fact have Lyme, which is more concrete than any test I'd had prior to that because Lyme mimics a lot of other things I've been tested for rheumatoid arthritis, for fibromyalgia, for... um, lupus. There's a whole bunch of like autoimmune stuff that looks a lot like it. Mm -hmm. Epstein-Barr, it mimics that. And so if you're out there with a, you have an atypical presentation of one of those things, I would encourage you to go find out if you have Lyme. And don't go to your regular GP, find someone who specializes in Lyme disease. I ended up going to a gentleman in Carmel, Indiana, and he's like the region's foremost Lyme disease person. And he was the one that was able to figure out what was actually wrong with me.
0: Wow. Uh, so, <laughs> Yeah, that's just crazy. So was the, the recovery, is it just a pill that you take or how is the recovery? I wish it was that simple. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Cause if you talk to conventional, the, the center mainstream conventional medicine people, they're like 30 days of antibiotic and you should be able to put Lyme away. And if you talk to the insurance companies, they're like, we'll cover 60 days of oral medication, but that's all we will do. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is Lyme is more wily than that. It tends to come with co-infections that help to defend it from these other things. So you'll end up with like a Babesia, for example, infection as well as the Lyme and they protect each other. And so it makes it super hard to get rid of. And sometimes you have to treat the co-infection before the Lyme will be affected at all. And I was in one of those cases, my co-infection was Babesha. That's the one, why is the one that springs to mind for me. But that had to be dealt with before the Lyme was gonna respond at all. The other tricky thing about Lyme is it has several different stages in its life cycle and some of them are in these little cysts it's kind of protected from what's going on in the environment so it's like flea bombing your house in some ways if you flea bomb your house it'll kill the adults it'll kill the little larvae that are growing into adults but it won't touch the eggs typically then that's the old classic ones. Now they have like these growth hormone preventatives that they can put in the flea bombs, it makes them much more effective, but it used to be you had to flea bomb, give it 10 days or whatever for the eggs to hatch and then flea bomb again, if you were going to get it. And so Lyme treatment is a lot like that you kind of have to wait for the cysts to hatch out so that you can get those too, or do some creative things to actually cause the cyst to break down so that the antibiotics can touch them. And so if you look at conventional treatments for Lyme disease, the guys who know what's going on, they use a series of differing antibiotics. They use them in rotation. It happens over a large period of time. In fact, the conventional plan I was given was a two-year plan and I was given a 70% chance that that sucker would work. 70. Wow. Okay, so it's not it was not even a given if I went through everything that was in that plan that I would be well at the end of it. And it was exotic IV antibiotics. It wasn't like here just pop these pills. Okay, it was going to be a heck of a journey and a significant financial investment which I didn't end up having to make through a course of events, but I believed that was my only path out at the time that you mentioned that I had this dark night of the soul. And it happened shortly after my diagnosis, I knew what the problem was. But we had no way to afford the solution to that problem. We were in bankruptcy, we were living on grace in a borrowed house. (laughs) Okay, we weren't even paying rent. My husband was working at half of well, really a third of his normal a custom salary, I couldn't work at all. He was going back to grad school. So like all of his cycles were taken up. There was literally no place for me to find the money to do this. And I beat my brain and beat my brain. And I finally said, okay, well, I hate to do this, but I'm gonna call my dad. I mean, if there's one time to ask your family for financial assistance, this this is it right here. Yeah. And I called dad and the bank of dad was empty. Wow. And I had had that phone call with the insurance company earlier in the day where they said, we don't believe in chronic Lyme. How convenient is that? (laughs) I'd love to not believe in chronic Lyme. Thanks. (laughs) Give me a give me a dose of that. (laughs) But they weren't going to do anything. And oh, by the way, your doctor is no longer in network. Like, that's all it needed. Right? <laughs> wow. And so that's, that's where I was at. When I prayed that prayer. I mean, I'd gotten to the point, my husband would come home and say, how was your day? What happened? And I either couldn't remember, or I couldn't find the words to tell him. Yeah, I, I liken it to you go through the house, and you decide you need to get something from the garage, you open the door of the garage, and there's no garage. Well, crap! You close the door and you turn around, and now the house is gone too. It that was kind of the the memory experience I was having, mm-hmm. and so I I was in a bad 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 place, and I couldn't see a way out of it. I'd, all of the doors had slammed, and so that's where I was when I said that prayer, and I meant it. I meant it with every part of my being. I will do anything, and I immediately got a response. A lot of people are like, I pray and I don't hear anything. The, I got a response and the response was really anything. And I sat with that because the voice has a point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anything is has, is a big space. There are no boundaries on anything. Mm-hmm. And so I I sat with it for a while and I addressed my comment to God. I'm assuming God is who is answering. Mm -hmm. So what I know of God is God is love. God is not going to ask me to kill anyone, ax, murder, cheat, steal, that kind of crap. And that's really where my lines are anyway. So yes, God, anything. And I got my first miracle because I fell asleep. I hadn't slept in quite a few weeks at that point, because the damage to the brain keeps my brain from going through that cycle. And so I wasn't getting rest and sleeping at night, I would just meditate and try to be a little more refreshed in the morning. (laughs) But I wasn't actually going through the sleep cycles that night I did. Wow. And I woke with this understanding that I have to go get a clearing IV from this doctor because they had started me on some antibiotics. But when you kill off Lyme, they're toxic little creatures to start with and then they die and they release all their toxins in this big rush. And so oh. it, you actually feel a shit ton worse before you start to feel better because you're killing them off. And so I went for one of these clearing IVs and I'm sitting in the infusion room The IV, I have no idea how I'm going to pay for. (laughs) Fortunately, medical professionals are patient. And the doctor walked through the infusion room, which is super unusual. That's not a place he usually goes. Mm -hmm. So I waved him over and explained my situation that insurance is completely off the table. What are my options as a cash pay client? And I'm in some pretty dire financial straits. I mean, I'm in bankruptcy, so it's not like I've got a bunch of pile of money there waiting to give to him. And he listened to all that and said, well, you might wanna try our naturopath. We've got a naturopath herbalist who's part of the office. He's not normally covered under insurance, but since insurance is out of the, the picture for you, You might want to try him. His appointments are half the price of mine and he has great success curing parasitic infections and Lyme disease and Babesia are parasitic infections. Like, okay, fab, I will go check him out. And his approach is using herbs and your body to like naturally clear things out. And it was amazing working with him. He took care of the bibisha. I was clear of that, within 10 days. And the Lyme disease we had put away in the next couple of months. Now, that doesn't mean I was back to like radiant, bouncy health, because a lot of damage had occurred in the course of this infection that had to be repaired, but at least I wasn't going downhill anymore. Yeah. And so that was an amazing and fabulous gift. And as I was going through this process of visiting his office, I found a number of other breadcrumbs on my trail. (laughs) The first of which was a wonderful book called The Emotion Code. Now, I've been in and out of talk therapy over the course of the years because dysfunctional childhood and all this kind of crap. And, you know, it's kind of helpful, but it's not amazing, helpful, as yeah. in my experience. Okay, I'm not saying don't go do it. Absolutely. It's far better than not doing it. Mm-hmm. But the emotion code really cued me in to what emotions are really about and how you're really supposed to interact with them. And not only that, but how to get rid of that stockpile of shoved down, packaged up stacked in the corner emotions that you come and you accidentally knock them over, you get triggered by something that somebody posted on Facebook or whatever and all pours out as nasty as it ever has been. It it cued me in to how to deal with that and get rid of those piles of crap. And as a bonus, it showed me how to take down my heart wall, which I knew for a fact I had one of those. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even have to muscle test that one. I know I have a heart wall. And as I started taking the heart wall down, strange things started happening in my life. Strange experiences that the scientist had trouble dealing with, okay? Because I've lived my entire life since I was about 12 on this very rational, logical, it all has an explanation we can do experiments and get to it, and I need concrete replicatable evidence of things, right? That's Mm -hmm. how I've lived my entire life. And now I'm having these experiences of knowing what led somebody to make that weird choice in Walmart. I'm a people watcher, so I frequently ask these questions in my mind. It's like, what led them to the point where it made sense to make that choice? These, These kinds of questions I ask myself. And I would ask those questions, and suddenly, I was getting knowings of what brought them to that point. I was being shown the series of events that led up to them going, this is, this is my answer right here. <laughs> it's like, wow, okay, too much information. Maybe I need to stop <laughs> asking this question, right? I don't, I don't need to know this. <laughs> But there was a bunch of weird things that happened. There were the knowings of the future and the past and what led people to these things. But there were also moments when I would speak in languages I'd never learned to speak. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that's a tougher one to try and explain. I, yeah, explain that one. How, how do I know this Hebrew candlelighting prayer in, in its entirety? It just popped out of me. How do I... That's not my culture. It's not my background. It's my exposure to it is almost nothing. I was raised in the middle of northern Minnesota. I was <laughs> not known for a thriving Jewish community. And so this kind of weird stuff was happening. I was seeing lights and angels and fairies and crossed over dead people. And it's, i coming to the conclusion that the brain damage is pretty severe at this point, right? The scientist (laughs) was like, you've taken more damage to that brain of yours than you realize. (laughs) And so I'm writing all these experiences off and it's it's been this way for a couple of weeks when I came home from the grocery store and we're in a condo, they're like duplexes almost. Mm -hmm. And our neighbors on the other side I see her helping her husband into the house. She's staggering under his weight. He's doubled over, he's visibly in pain. You you don't have to have extra sensory perception to realize this. <laughs> <laughs> and so I jumped out of the car, let the ice cream melt, Let's. Let's help them, right? And so I'm helping her get him in the house, and she's saying that he's having such a terrible time with his kidneys, and she's going to see if she can get an emergency appointment for him. She's really worried, and he's not looking good. I mean, he is pale, and his face is clearly in pain. So, okay, she goes to make the phone call, and I'm with him in the living room and trying to make a man who's intensely uncomfortable comfortable and there really isn't anything you can do it standing sucks sitting sucks laying down isn't any better there's no way to get away from this pain so we're standing in the living room and i'm kind of holding his hands because physical contact is nice when you're in one of these situations and i see that he's closed his eyes i know him to be a an intensely devout man. He's spent much of his life serving the Lord as a minister, his wife as a parochial school teacher. I know this is a big facet of their lives and I'm not very comfortable watching him have this moment Mm -hmm. with God, because, well, I mean, I just said my first prayer since I was 12 two weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't talked to him a whole lot since then, okay? (laughs) Yeah. So I'm holding his hands, and so I just closed my eyes. I'm like, that'll give him some privacy. And when I closed my eyes, I could see in my mind's eye this little flame. It was like a pilot light, and it's on the edge of going out. You know how they kind of dance and pop and flicker right before they go.
0: Poof. Yeah.
1: And I, I'm given this understanding that that's where his life force is at right now. He is on the edge of going. And I haven't acknowledged who I'm talking to in my mind yet. I said, Is there something we can do about that? And suddenly the flame got big and powerful and flared up like a bonfire. And he drops my hands and my eyes fly open. And he says, Are you a healer? And I I'm looking around to see who he's talking to, because this has (laughs) not entered my reality in any way. And I was saved from having to answer by his wife coming in and saying, we've got an appointment, we have to leave right now. So I hustle him out to the car, wave him goodbye, and I go hide in my house for two days. (laughs) Until I guilt myself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> into going next door, because I'm over next door, like discounting and trying to rationalize what went on and or shared imagination or wishful thinking or I don't know, I've, I don't really have an answer, but it can't be what he thought it was, right? <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Or you for that matter, or
1: me for that matter. So mm-hmm. I, I finally went next door to see how he's doing. So I tap on the door a little cautiously. And his wife opens the door with a big smile. I'm like, okay, good sign. (laughs) Big smile's good. And she says, oh, Jay has so many questions for you. And I went, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Because I got zero answers. And I'm ushered into the living room. And there he is kicked back in his Barca lounger. He's got his drink at his elbow and his book and his remote and fat and happy like, how are you feeling, Jay? He says, fabulous. You know, it was the strangest thing. Because by the time we got to the doctor's office, I was feeling pretty good again. And they put me through the usual battery of tests. And he's been at this kidney doctor thing for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And he says, my kidney function came back as normal. I haven't had normal kidney function in
0: a very long time. Kidney function doesn't usually just turn. Hello,
1: hello, ask any kidney doctor. They're like, it's a long, slow decline. There's no reversing that shit. And his stuff reversed. And the scientist in me had to sit down and shut the fuck up and accept that this is part of what I signed up for. I said anything, all of this weird weird woo stuff that's been going on is part of that anything I agreed to.
0: Did you go back and say, can we re-question the anything part? (laughs) Can can I put a modifier on there? (laughs) No, actually I did not
1: because I don't renege on my agreements. And if I need to expand my Mm worldview and accept that there is something else that I'm supposed to be doing here that has nothing to do with ration and reason. And to be a channel, if you will, a gateway for that sort of thing to arrive for people, which I believe was my function in that moment. When I said, Is there anything I can do? I said, I'm willing to be a vessel for whatever needs to happen. I didn't consciously realize that but looking back now, that's what I did. And he was clearly asking for something very specific, Mm -hmm. and he got it.
0: Now, I believe that everything happens for our benefit in life. Absolutely, yes. And you obviously, for three decades, went through something very traumatic physically, emotionally, and spiritually, Yes. And probably not something you would wish on your worst enemy or perceived worst worst enemy. Worst enemy, yes. <laughs> if you had to do it over again, knowing what you know now to get to where you're at now, would you do it differently? That's not quite the
1: question I expected you to ask me, which is would you go through it again? I might approach it differently. I don't think I would choose to not have Lyme, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. because there was a point in the late 80s where I had a hint of maybe what it was, because Mm -hmm. I remember reading an article about Lyme disease, and I went, oh, my God, they're describing my life experience. And so I'm reading this article and uh, and absorbing all this stuff. It's only a page long. Mm-hmm. And I get down to the last paragraph or so, and it says, but don't be concerned if you think you might have this because you can only get Lyme disease from this specific species of deer tick that only exists in the Northeast of the United States. And... That's before they knew any better. It exists all over the world. It's actually pandemic Lyme disease, and it can be carried by any species of tick, as it turns out. But I read that last paragraph and went, oh, well, shit, I guess that's not my answer, because I've never been at that point in my life. I had never been to that part of the country. Mm -hmm. And so I was hugely disappointed and I didn't pursue it any further. And that, I think, would have been a different turning point had I pursued that farther, mm-hmm. because I had knowing intuition better now. Mm-hmm. I had this complete in full body intuition that this is exactly what is happening with me. And I allowed my rational mind to overrule that because of that last paragraph. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting.
1: And so might I take, if I were doing this over again, might I have pursued that farther? Maybe. I think ultimately, we always end up where we need to end up. So there would have been something else that would have forced me to reevaluate when I (laughs) reevaluated. I, I look at what I went through, because there are moments when your soul wants you to pay attention to something very specific. And I had arrived at that junction, and my soul was very determined. I was going to pay attention to this, this being that there is more than just what we see with our two eyes and sense with our five senses to this world, and that the spiritual aspect of what we do and what we're here to do is much bigger and more involved than we give it credit for, generally speaking, as a society. Mm-hmm. And so I think of it as like a cattle pinch. If you, if you've my family have dairy farmers. So <laughs> <laughs> this, this analogy works for me. If you're a city girl, you may not relate to it. But when you, when you have a cow, you need to do some work on. They're not really tame creatures. Mm-hmm. They're not gonna stand still and just let you do it. And humans are a lot that way too. We don't wanna stand still and let you do something that might hurt. And so yeah. what happens is your soul herds you into a smaller pen and then herds you into an even smaller pen and then sends you down a chute to a point where you have to stand still and take whatever it is. And then it lets you go to, to make whatever decision you need to make. And so you will see that a lot. If you are in a dark night of the soul, you may have done a lot of things to try to avoid arriving at that point, but it was inescapable. And that's a sign that your soul really wants you to pay attention to something. And it will take away from you everything that's distracting you. And it will take the things that you pay the most attention to. So in my case, it took my health as well as my financial well being so that I would pay attention. Now, I think if I had continued to not pay attention, which is an option. We all have free will. I probably also would have lost husband and family and and that sort of thing as well, in addition to the money and the career and the health. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of look at it and go, it was my reverse Job moment. <laughs> 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 Cause because they took everything away from Job to see if he would hold on to his faith. They took everything away from me to see if I could find some.
0: Very interesting. So what is life like for you now?
1: Ah, uh, life is, as always life, right? We, we like to think we go through these awakenings and everything is like different. And in many ways, it is because I see the magic, I see the serendipity, I see the patterns and the gifts that come out of these difficult things that we go through. But in many ways, it's still the same. Before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. But I chop my wood and I carry my water knowing that there is a bigger reason for this and that the kind word or deed that I do for somebody at the grocery store makes a difference in their life and it may send them down a different path. And the things that I put out into the world will create ripples. And so it allows me because I have this like perfectionist kind of mindset (laughs) and I want to see the big change right now to be a little patient and to understand that the small things are sometimes even more impactful than the big gestures. And so paying for the meal of the family ahead of me, whose debit card is not working. I do that without worrying about it now. That's something I would have fussed over
0: previously. Mm -hmm. Now, are you still working as a scientist?
1: No, I left that life quite a while back. (laughs) I I got my degree in biophysics. It wasn't officially biophysics on the page, but it was a combined degree in chemistry and biochemistry. And basically we would study the changes that we made on certain molecules by sticking them in very large magnets and particle accelerators. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like way too much fun. (laughs) It is kind of fun and kind of cool, but I decided to leave science because you take the minimum amount of protection that you know that you need to take against whatever it is you're studying. Mm -hmm. And the problem is you don't really know what that minimum amount of protection is until after you've done some damage to yourself. And if you look at science history, and when you study science, you look at science history, many experimenters die of what they studied. Because they didn't know the amount of protection they needed to take.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I decided I didn't want to be my own science experiment. And so I took what I learned with computers and systems and troubleshooting into the corporate world when I graduated and did data center management and relocation for a bank whose name you would easily recognize (laughs) (laughs) for many years. And, you know, set some land speed records because troubleshooting turns out to be a very, very useful skill when it's properly applied. There's, there's a lot to be said for rationality. And even in the woo world, there's still a place for it. Mm-hmm. There's still cause and effect in the woo world. It's just a slightly different set of laws. And so it does help me quite a bit when I get clients who come to me and say, well, I've tried everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I've tried all the woo everythings too, and I still can't take care of whatever it is. And there's a wide range of whatever it is but it it works for me we find the source of the problem and we fix it and then you move on to the next thing whether it's i'm al- i always end up in these stupid love triangles or my ex-boyfriend has decided he's going to try to destroy me and the system doesn't seem to be recognizing what's happening here and is taking it seriously we fix that too mm-hmm How can people work with you? Ah, I have two doors you can enter my world through. And it depends which door attracts you more. Okay, if you just wanna lurk a little bit around the fringes of Sophia's world and see what she's about, you can go to superpowerquiz.us. You can find out a little bit about your own giftedness and it will also put you on my email list where you can lurk to your heart's content. That's awesome. (laughs) Until you're ready to to come forward and engage. And if you are in one of these spaces where you're pretty convinced that the light at the end of the tunnel is in fact an oncoming train, (laughs) a lot of my clients arrive with oncoming trains, uh, you can go to bookzofiacoffeechat.com. That's B-O-O-K-Z-O-F-I-A, coffeechat.com. And I do a 20 minute chit chat and we find out what your situation is, if it makes sense for you to work with me, if there's something that you can do on your own or some combination of the two. And we go from there. And it's, it's no harm, no foul. If, I, if you get there and I'm not your cup of tea, fabulous. It's all good. Now, do you do energy healing or I kind do kind of kinda all the things. <laughs> <laughs> Generally when I work with a client I have a process that I I step through and mm-hmm. I'm I see patterns in chaos. And so I like the the data dump. So when you start with me there's a data dump. Tell me everything that's bugging you in your life. What are your recurring patterns? I've got a whole list of stuff that we go through. And then I also pull your soul chart. Okay. Your soul agreement, the thing that you, your plan for this life, basically, Mm -hmm. so that we can see what your plan is, because odds are a lot of that repeating pattern crap that you'd really like to get rid of is probably linked to your soul agreement in some way in your life plan. And so I pull that, I look at your human design, because that tells me how you're exploring out into the world. And then we pay attention to what's going on in your physicality because your soul will talk to you through your body. And so I don't so much decide where we're going as your soul says, follow this little breadcrumb over here. And so we deal with that. And then we follow this little breadcrumb over there. And so I'm not really in charge of where we go. Your higher self is in charge of where we go. And so you don't need to trust me. You just need to trust yourself. That is
0: very wise advice. Very, Mm -hmm. very wise advice. Well, do you have any suggestions or tips for the listeners if they are experiencing the dark night of the soul? What is something that they can do, besides reaching out to you, of course, that can help them on the path to healing and enlightenment?
1: Stepping Mm -hmm. out of that dense, dark place. The first thing I will share is that if you're looking for a very faint light, you find that much more easily in a dark space. Okay. So look around you for those very faint lights. That's the reason you're in this space is so you can find those faint lights, those hints of your true self of where you need to go. So pay attention to those little things that kind of light up a little bit for you, the little places where it lifts your heart a little bit. Because these are some of the breadcrumbs that your higher self is giving you. Because our personality our ego personality tends to get distracted by the bling and the glitz in this world i want to be facebook famous i want to have a fancy car and a this and a that and these are all beautiful wonderful things but they're not the be-all and end-all of this existence and sometimes your soul needs you to stop and pay attention to the things that are really important mm-hmm. like how you're treating yourself how you're treating the people around you where you're focusing your efforts and your energies and your passions. And the dark night of the soul is about opening up space for that to happen. A lot of times we fill our lives with so many things that there is no space for you to think or to feel. And typically in the dark night of the soul, there is ample amount of space to think and feel. It's part of what you're here to do. And if you were numbing out previously, this can feel super duper duper intense. But it's a sign that you're okay. It's a sign that you're recovering and healing that you're actually feeling. It's a good thing. It may suck right now, but it's a good thing. And so go with it. If you're sad, be very, very, very sad. If you are angry, be very, very, very angry, and dig for the messages that those emotions are bringing you. And don't let your ego tell a bunch of stories about it, because what happens with intuitive information is it comes in as a very neutral matter of fact sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then your ego gets onto it and tells a story about whatever that fact is. Oh, well, if my husband's leaving me, that's going to be terrible and devastating in the end of the world. Well, yeah, it's probably going to be a difficult transition. Separations like that can be challenging but it's not the end of the world, and frequently on the other side of that transition is the life you've been asking for. It's the life you've been praying for. It may not be dressed up in the clothes that you think it's supposed to have.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: So keep going. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. This too shall pass, and you will come out of it fabulous and amazing and you're you're on the right path.
0: Your your response had me thinking of another question especially with everything that's going on in our world today with especially mental health and and such. What if we have a family member or a friend and we see them going through a dark night of the soul? How can we help them? What are some things that we can do? to reach out to them yeah exactly
1: um you kind of have to take your cue from the person that you're reaching out to in a lot of ways because sometimes we're the person they needed and sometimes we're not the person that they need Mm -hmm. and if you've got a lot of baggage with that person you need to be aware as you reach out to them whether you're supporting them or whether you're triggering them okay Mm -hmm. and one of the best things you can do for somebody who's in a space like that is don't force shit on them okay we want them to be better now right Mm -hmm. but that's not the timeline of the dark night of the soul the most important thing you can do is let them know that you care that you are here for them for whatever they need, Mm -hmm. and to hold space for them. That's the best thing you can do if you are not triggering them. If you are triggering them, let them know, I love you. And I see that you you don't want me (laughs) and that's (laughs) okay. (laughs) And if you know somebody who's more acceptable to them, You can cue them in that maybe it'd be a beautiful thing for you to reach out and say, hello, I'm thinking about you because it's easy to think that you're alone and abandoned and so rallying people who are willing to reach out and be supportive to them can be helpful. Not Mm -hmm. the, well, I know what you need to do and that's get up off of your ass and you know, X, Y, Z. Okay. Yeah a lot of times that's not the most helpful
0: thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Very true. Sometimes we just have to hold space and just know that their guides, their spirits are, are taking good care of them, but it's yeah. hard sometimes to watch and, people go down and
1: continue to, you know, issue the invitations, right.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm
1: going someplace fun. Would you like to come along?
0: That's a good idea. Yeah.
1: Because a lot of times after people have said no a few times, you kind of stop inviting. Don't stop yeah. inviting. Keep issuing the invitation even if they don't feel inclined. At least they feel like they, the hand was reached out like to include them,
0: whether they chose to take it or not. That's a very good idea. Yes. Well, is there anything else that you would like to leave with our listeners today? I can't believe this hour's almost up. I know. It goes so fast, doesn't yeah. it? Nice. What I would like to put out there
1: is that love and patience will get you a long, long way towards where you want to be. Love and patience. Love and patience. And it can literally change the intentions of people around you. I was once carjacked. I don't know the whole intention that the man had when he got in the car because whatever weapon he had, he kept down next to the seat and i related to him the entire time he was in the car it's not something that my personality chose to do this is a moment when my higher self kind of stepped in and shoved my personality to the side and said here's what we're going to do because my first reaction when he jumped in the car was who the fuck are you and get the hell out of my car right (laughs) that's (laughs) that's like the the lizard response to Mm -hmm. somebody jumping into your car in a car jacket But that's not what came out. My higher self came in and shoved that response to the side. And what came out of my mouth was, are you okay? Can I help you? And that took us down a whole nother road because he came with a story and looking at it, I think it was at least partially fictional. But his story was that his girlfriend was at the hospital having their first child and he needed to get to the hospital. And so the entire time I was taking directions from him and driving around with him, my concern was on him and how did he feel about being a father for the first time? Were his parents still around? Are they excited to be grandparents? Have you chosen baby names? How are you settling into the community? Because he said they had just moved to the area. You know, what, what do you think of it? You know, oh, so, there's a wonderful baby store over here. There's a good grocery store over there. You should go to the display at the museum. They're having a blah, blah, blah. Complete concern for how his world was coming together. And I'm following his directions, and I'm in, like, the world's worst part of town. I'm in grad school. I don't live in a good part of town. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, (laughs) okay, but this was bad. And um, he had me pull over into this gas station, abandoned, closed gas station, no lights, nothing. And there's a part of me that's like, oh, this is not going to be good. And then this higher self part of me said, I'm concerned about leaving you out in this neighborhood, especially without any money for your child to get a good start in life. I don't have much I can share with you, but I had set aside like $60 to give to the church. And why don't we cut out the middleman? And he's like, that would be very nice. I said, is there an ATM around? He gave me directions to the ATM the new guy in town gave me directions to the ATM. And, (laughs) and so I I took out the $60 and I gave it to him. And I said, would you like me to drop you back in the parking lot? And he said, Oh, no, 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 He He really didn't want to go back to the parking lot. And he directed me farther down the road under the streetlight where he got out and went on his
0: way. That was super smart.
1: And I left with my car. I left with my life and the money is replaceable. And I know that something changed in his life that night too. I don't know what, I, I have no way to know what eventually happened to him after he left me at that intersection. But I know that did not play out at all the way it intended in his mind when he got in that car. And it was all about love and caring and attention.
0: You'll find him one day. You'll see him.
1: I would love to know what happened to his life after that.
0: Yeah, you'll find him one day.
1: But love, love will get you everywhere.
0: That leads me to my last question. If you had an hour to speak with someone on a park bench, whether that person be alive or on the other side of the veil, who would that person be and what would you talk about?
1: Wow, there are so many choices. I think I would not have said this, probably at any other point in my life. But I think I would choose to sit down and have a conversation with the embodied Jesus Christ. Because I think much of what he knew, believed and preached has been horribly distorted. And so I would love to get that straight from the man.
0: I would agree with that one.
1: That's who I I think I would choose.
0: And and it's it's a
1: surprising choice to me, but there you go.
0: (laughs) I love it. Closely followed
1: by a conversation with the Holy Spirit who
0: I suspect is female. (laughs) Oh, she is. She's got lots of bling too. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Lots of bling. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I so appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Butterfly Kisses, A Journey of Spiritual Transformation. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. This way you won't miss it when a new episode is released. Also, if you're interested in learning more about Akashic Record readings, you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with me by visiting my website at amygraycunningham.com. Again, thank you. And remember, always spread your gorgeous wings, my friend, and fly. Until next time, see ya.